0: Welcome to another episode of Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you be the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and on this week's show, Steve and I are speaking with Gail Graham, and we've really been looking forward to this conversation. So, Gail recently founded Graham Strategy. Her goal is to work with larger wealth advisory firms who are really looking to transform their businesses. And you don't have to look further than her last two positions to see why she's exactly the person to do that. Prior to founding Graham Strategy, Gail was the CMO at United Capital, and prior to that, an EVP of Marketing and Business Development for Fidelity. So she has been driving innovation for some time. What I really love about this conversation is that we get to tap into Gail's strategic brain and the questions that we all need to be asking ourselves about the future. We talk about the things that make an advisor stand out in the crowd and the importance of demonstrating value, but in a really tangible way. And we talk about brand and the impact on referrals. I know I took a ton of notes during our call. And with that, let's jump right in. So, Gail, welcome. Such a pleasure to have you on today.
1: Welcome, Gail.
0: Hey, thanks, guys. It's awesome to be with you. Um, so gail I, I there's
2: so many things I would love to talk to you about so i'm going to try to i'm going to try to narrow the focus, but you know one of the things that that strikes me in talking to advisors is that when we talk about client experience and when we talk about referrals it's it's so easy to jump to the tactics right like we jump straight there. what should you say? how should you approach it but I would really love to start with your take on the strategy behind this. I, I You have such a, a great strategic mind, but I wonder if we could just start and ask you, what do you think the big questions are for advisors? Um, what
3: should they be asking themselves
2: as they start to think about growth in the future?
3: Great, great question. Um, well, as you know, like I think of marketing as almost the frosting on the cake, that the strategy is the cake. It's the substance of what you do. And to me, if there are two things that I think advisors should be really thinking about. One is really honestly saying, what am I doing that is so valuable that people should be willing to pay for it? <clears throat> Too many advisors talk in what I call, you know, uh, the the giant sea of sameness, the sort of the speak of our industry about things like comprehensive wealth management and make assumptions that that's what people value. When you really talk to people, and no one knows this better than Stephen, who's just actually worked with me on a client advisory board. And it was fascinating to hear people. What we think that they are paying for and what they think they're getting in value are often different. And if an advisor hasn't really thought about making sure that they deliver something that truly people really value, then I think that they will not be successful. I, I really do see we're going to see a thinning of the herd. If advisors, there are some advisors that frankly aren't that good out there <clears throat> who are selling investment products and doing very standard and routine kinds of planning that are just not that valuable to people anymore. So number one is, <clears throat> have you thought hard about what people value and, uh, and what they're willing to pay for? Not, not lots of extra f- fuss, but truly willing to pay for. And there's all methods of research for that. You know, you know, Julie, the conjoint and discrete choice and other ways that you force people to tell you what they're willing to pay for. But that's an important question. And the second thing is to really look at where consumers are going and ask yourself, are you prepared to meet the needs of new investors? And I'm not just jumping to the millennials. You know, we know that the boomers were very trusting clients. The Gen Xers are less trusting, they have higher demands for convenience and service and problem solving and other things. And just I I feel that advisors, if they have more than a five year career ahead of them, need to spend much more time thinking, what am I doing that's valuable? And where are the people I'm going headed? Or where are the people that I'm serving headed? Where are they going? Where's the market going for consumers? Um so we have to be future focused, and those two things are, are what's on my mind.
1: And and can I also can I also ask a little bit? You know, I, I wanted to to dig into this with you, Gail. Julie mentioned you know how easy it is to get tactical, and I really, you know, you, you think strategically, and you've operated at a strategic level for a long time. But I, I, I think most advisors don't really quite get the difference between strategy and tactics. You know that that um, can can you go into that a little bit and 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 you know how. Trying to figure out what people are willing to pay for and what they value about an experience is not as easy as just saying, what do you want from us?
3: Yeah, oh, that's a great question. In fact, I'm writing some articles for FA Magazine called DIY Marketing, and I'm, I'm working on one for October to try and define what is a strategic process that advisors can go through to help them before they start thinking about marketing tactics. And strategy really starts with, um, and you've got in your books, both of you have written about this, but it really starts with understanding the market you're going to serve and making some choices about who is the, the, the target audience, uh, looking at what you offer <clears throat> more clearly and articulating it for that audience, being able to define what you offer in terms of tangible benefits and proof points. So let me explain what I mean by that. It's if you, you can't just have a strategy that I'm going to serve affluent individuals who need retirement planning in the state of Pennsylvania. That's not a strategy. Okay. And too often that's what I hear from people. You know, a strategy would be something like I focus on people who are, who have uh, complex financial lives, not a lot of time and are in their earning years. So accumulating assets for their goals is really important. And my, you know, if that's the market I'm going after, my offering has to be something very clear and specific against those needs. So I'm going to offer, you know, a a very clear step-by-step process that helps people feel more organized. I'm going to offer... A very time-friendly way of doing business that uses video and chat and text and other ways to improve convenience in the way these people are being served. And then when you look at those benefits to people, it's that they can finally feel like dealing with their money isn't 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 so complicated. Um, They can uh, relax knowing that everything that they need to do is clear and organized. You know, you come up with with something specific. So when I talk about strategies you can see all of this is about focusing and putting on paper and documenting the what your business aims to do. And then afterwards, you have to look at once you've documented the whole strategy and you've asked yourself is it credible, does it ring true, can I prove it? In other words, can I uh, if you're saying that you're a convenient way that you offer convenient ways to do business, you can't then be back in the dark ages where you expect everybody to come to your office for face-to-face meetings. So you have to t- challenge yourself. I have this one pager that I use and it takes sometimes months to get everything onto this one single page that outlines the strategy of the organization, the off, the target market, the offer, the, the, um, the tangible benefits, the proof points, a competitive analysis, all of it on one page. That's to get that kind of mental clarity. And then we do an audit of the business compared to the strategy and where are gaps between what the business is set up to do or how they do business and where they think the strategy is. Sounds kind of complicated. And I realize it, sound, it, it sounds like you need a consulting firm and you ne- don't necessarily need one. But I am going to try and publish some simple tools. You have to be willing, though, to like roll up your sleeves and be self-critical. In order to do good strategic work, and that's where I really challenge advisors just to, to have the courage to do well, it. Well, and and
1: and, Gail, I'd like to challenge you a little bit on on the whole idea of that uh, of the article that you just mentioned. You were writing about the about DIY marketing. I I, I think, you know, one of the challenges is you know as you mentioned before advisors have a real difficult time getting out of the industry speak and getting out of you know we we all have this this orientation because you know these many of these advisors have been in the business for decades and they've been conditioned to what the industry says people are interested in and they're conditioned to the language that the industry uses and I mean, how realistic is it for 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 people to you know, to, to say, well, here's an article. And now now that you have this article, you can break out of that and think creatively and, and, you know, and ask the questions you haven't been able to ask yourself before.
3: That's a great question considering we're all in the consulting field, right? Yeah, well, so at here's no risk the risk of
1: self-promoting.
3: Oh, no. Here's the way I see it. People who are interested in getting healthy start to read about diet and exercise and then realize it's really hard and they go to a personal trainer. I'm trying to stimulate people to think I believe, like you've said, when they do start to do the homework, they're going to realize it's hard and they may need help. And then simply because of affordability factors, I think we want to offer that help like you've all done with written work, books and workshops and you know, moving on up the ladder to customize consulting help. I'm just trying to get people to pay a little attention to this stuff. And then I think we all have many different ways to help them and serve them. And, and I would say that the two of you are really set up to help individual advisors far more than I do, um, um, which is why I'm writing, uh, you know, I'm writing, I'm, I'm more working with larger corporations at this point or larger firms. Um, but it's not easy. I wouldn't have spent 35 years in this business if it was easy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think that's that's
2: so true. And, and the, you know, I think you, you mentioned at the outset having done an advisory board. And in my mind, those are, now, there is uh, there is more science than art sometimes to uh, having a good conversation and drawing out the right information. So, I, I'd be the last person to try to oversimplify this, but just being able to talk to your clients and understand what it is they value and doing that in the right way, I mean, sometimes that helps you break through as well, right? Just hearing the words that they use. And, and you kind of mentioned right at the outset, uh, really needing to understand what they're willing to pay for. I was wondering if you could also just talk a little bit about that. I mean, in your experience, what have you seen as the difference between what advisors think clients want to pay for and what clients are saying they want to pay for?
3: Well, I'll give you a great, I'll tell a story that I think is really interesting. Um, I just was talking to an advisory firm this week, One one uh, a firm I'm, I'm actually trying to do some work with them. And they had a great experience, and they were so surprised. They talked to a person who is actually in charge of investments for a very large um, hospital health system. So this person is, <clears throat> you know, a uh, well versed investment person. And they assumed going in that the conversation was going to be all about pitching the investments. And what they found in the meeting was that this person um, got. Really engaged when they started talking about the fact that while they considered investments important, the most important thing was helping this helping the um, the advisor and client really talk about the goals for the person's life and what they um, wanted to achieve and more of what you you guys know I'm a big champion of financial life management really incorporating your values and your feelings and your priorities and goals in a much more broad way than traditional planning and. They were shocked walking away. And what the woman said was, everybody else comes in here and assumes I care about investments. And of course I do. But I've got a lot of other problems and no one to help me with those. So I think that's where you have to listen. Um, We also, Stephen and I, in the most recent advisory board that he helped and he did a fabulous job facilitating, I was really shocked, actually, that the more the client felt understood, the less they cared about price. Would you agree oh,
0: with absolutely. that? Oh, absolutely. And we've
1: heard that from a lot of clients before. In fact, we've done one of the questions. We've done this round of questions with a number of firms, um, where we asked them to tell us about the best customer service experience they've ever had to see what we could learn and incorporate into those advisors' practices. And you know, one of the things that we found was um, most of the best experiences were not inexpensive experiences. Most of the experiences that really stood out for them um, were companies that charge a premium for, for stuff that they do. And so I, I, I totally agree with that.
2: And also I I find when, when we ask that question of, of, you know, what's the greatest experience the art there is really digging in to understand what's at the bottom of that, right? Like, why did somebody say Disney? Or why did somebody say their local mechanic? Or why did somebody say their accountant? You know, and once you can, you know, the whole process of the five whys and just, you know, what, what, why, 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 why and you can get right down to some of those very common emotions. So it's, it's interesting that clients were able to articulate that.
3: Yeah. And you know, it's so funny because for years, you know, running, I ran consumer research for, you know, and it's part of my role at Fidelity for, when I was there for about a decade. I did a lot of consumer research and everybody's like, oh, it's got to be quantitative and mm-hmm. it can't be random. And it's, you know, everyone has to defend their research. And I like quantitative research, but I have an opinion on this, which is that the whole world can get the same results from quantitative research if they ask the same questions. So everybody's running around thinking they have insights. Those are not insights to me. They're not insights. I find insights come not, and this is what's visceral, I call it visceral research, is when you're listening and you're not only listening to the words and you can probe, but you can see the body language of that person. And yes, it is not quantitative, it's highly qualitative and subjective, but I also think that where insights come is when you have intuition and when you have a sense of things that may not even be able to be articulated fully, that's when you find an insight. Um uh, you know so i guess i've almost i've swung from being this lover of highly quant- quantitative research to much more enjoying diary methods, storytelling conversations like we did with the client advisory board and other things that are murkier but i think it's well, where and, the and insights let me, and are me... yeah. i'm a recovering quant
2: as well
1: <laughs> but to to dig into you know what what julie said you know it's it's digging down in it's that five whys process that 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 Julia mentioned, and um, because what I see with a lot of advisors is, is that what they do is they adopt the the superficial description of, of what they want to do. So they say, well, we provide the white glove or the Ritz Carlton experience, and but when you start drilling down, there's it's really. It, there's not a whole lot underneath that, and so what does that mean exactly? What do you do with clients specifically that 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 shows them that they care? And what what stories do you have, Ms. Advisor, that that about you providing the service above and beyond that generates that feeling toward you?
3: Yeah, the, you guys may know Kelly Decker. She writes. Um, she teaches communications. Yes. She was written a couple books made to stick. I think I loved one, one time she was talking and she said that one of the best advisors that she ever met from a marketing perspective, when people would say, what do you do? She would just turn to them and say, well, you know, those nights when you can't sleep, when you're worried about everything going on in your life, when you can't stop thinking about how much money is in your various accounts and kind of ticking off how much you have and what's your safety net. And she kind of went through this list. with well, you know, those nights, well, I'm the person you call first thing that morning. And I thought that was <laughs> yeah. great.
2: Yeah, I love that. So look, I'd love to to also get your perspective on and look, everything we're talking about, this is natural, right? We've got successful advisors and businesses for many years. And what we're talking about is sort of stretching the way they think about value. So it's... You know, we're saying this, but it's very natural that 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 we're in this situation. How do you, how do you think advisors can translate this input, this thinking, this understanding of value into becoming more referable? I mean, what's the connection there to getting clients to actually talk more about them and share those stories?
3: Well, you know what's interesting. So, in a way, I think some advisors think, well, I've got to think about marketing. And so, they build up some of the, this marketing persona around themselves like Teflon and using some of those langu- language like you've just referenced, Stephen. I actually think what advisors have inside themselves is their deep humanity, their personalities, and their good intentions. And in fact, by being more authentic... And really stopping trying to put the facade of professional marketing in front of between, you know, between them and their clients. It's it's be human, really be human with people. You know, isn't it funny how we can talk to someone, you know, waiting in line at the grocery store and sometimes have a really great conversation with a stranger because we're just talking human to human. So the best asset you have is you. And I believe that the best brand identity for an advisor is to first find how to really let their authentic self shine through and work with clients where they are naturally and enjoyably able to engage and connect with them. Yeah, I love that. And I've been, it kind of gets, I your, 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 No, go ahead. I was going to say, your, your book kind of talks about that. It's, you know if you want to love what you do, then bring your whole body and your whole spirit to it mm-hmm. you know, be who you are and it's a process let's
2: face it it's it's a process that for some of us comes with age because we just can't be bothered with the facade
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, but I know it's a real it's a mind shift for so many but i I'd, I'd love to pick up on what you you just mentioned about brand there, so we're talking about who you are and what you represent um, and and brand. So h- how do you see all of this tying into a brand for an advisor?
3: Well, I think on an on, on advisor level, your brand is you. You and you, you know, everything that you exude, your your um, how you dress, how you speak, what you say, all of that, and the experience you deliver your clients. People will judge you based on, your words, actions, and, and, you know, behaviors over time. So, and I think, as I said before, the more you can be unique and be you, the better. Um, I also think uh, here I'm telling you to be unique and be you. And and maybe the you isn't that super um, some, you know, one guy said, well, you, the real me is boring. And I, I <laughs> laughed and said, well, okay, that's <laughs> so okay. Go with it. You know, Work but the thing is, you should ask yourself what makes you different from other people. And and be willing to say, when someone asks you a question, because they are going to compare you to other advisors, know, know how to say to them, look, what's different about me is, and just as simple as that. What's different about me is, you know, and it can be what's different about me is, that I have a really disciplined process, and it doesn't look sexy, but it sure gets the job done. I make it really clear to people, step-by-step, step, where we're headed. You know, me, that boring guy, that's where we landed. Um, was He talked about his methodical approach and how much value it It, 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 it
1: recalls the, the great 20th century philosopher Raquel Welsh, who said that S- style is being yourself, but on purpose.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Steve. Well... It's a becoming referable first. Raquel Welch has been, been quoted. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah.
0: So if if an advisor
2: is so I love I mean I love that concept that the, that the brand really is you. If if they are thinking now about trying to. You know, I'm going to say create a brand, although I, I suppose it's just uncover the brand in a way. What are the key components that they need to be thinking about when they sit down to say, "All right, I, I I know this is important. What should I be doing?"
3: Okay, so brand is brand is a combination of factors, and what you know marketers debate and and get kind of philosophical about is that brand is everything. It's not one thing, but as a as a small business owner or an advisor, you want to say, "Do I have a strategy?" do I have a clear message for my brand? Do I have, um, do I have a, have I decided the voice and personality of my brand? And what I mean by that is um, when I look at my website versus other people's websites, does it speak, you know, does it, does it reflect my strategy? Does it speak my message? And does it reflect my personality through its voice and its visual identity? Um, all of those things need to be cohesive. And then, the client experience. So, that part of the brand, which is kind of the marketing part of the brand, the stuff people look at and see when they check you out on the web or they, you know, look at your brochure. um, Does it all kind of have consistency? And, And I will tell you this, the best way to get consistency is simplification. Keeping it simple. Simple and clear and human. Those are my three things. Then once you've done that, the real way, I mean, you can do marketing. And I just saw something this week that made me, it was hilarious. It was this website of these two advisors, and I won't say where they are in the country because I don't want them to, and I, I don't work with them. I just randomly hit upon this. They have this crazy, wild website where they're obviously trying to be, you know, the um, the coolest <laughs> advisors in the history of the planet, right? <laughs> okay. But when, and it's cool factor, it's just, wow, like you go nuts, but they're based in this tiny town in one of the most conservative states <laughs> in America and when i read their bios there's nothing in their bios that says they're equipped to do anything nearly as interesting as oh, their website so um being yeah it was it was a marketer somebody somebody in, had a fun time with the marketing there but the client experience so the brand has to be you it has to be clear it has to be you know again strategy message voice personality and visual visual identity and then you have to say what is my client experience so that once somebody sees me and checks me out and then they come and do business with me, how does it stay consistent? And, you know, the simplest parts of the client experience are, um, what are my meetings like? How do I hold my meetings? You know, everything down to, you know, how do I run my meetings? How many meetings? Do I use agendas? Those kinds of things. What are the documents I share with my clients? Like, particularly, what is the plan that I offer my clients look like? And then what is the service experience that they're getting in my office from me and my staff?
1: You made a brief reference to it, but I, 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 think, it's, I think it's worth, um, worth emphasizing to, to our listeners. And that is that, you know, strategy is not, you know, what ads you run on what schedule. Strategy is everything. And um and, and like you said you know it's and, and both of you I'm sure have heard this before you know the, your, your brand is not your logo and, and your website brand your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room and if if you know in the Google era now if your if your if cl- whatever your clients are saying about you to their friends if they' if their that friend goes to your homepage and it doesn't see the same things that your friend just said you've just lost the opportunity. And so, so, so when when you do this kind of strategic work with with advisors, you know how how far down do you drive that? How how far how how do you help them getting encouraged to, to to get get involved in all those service aspects and everything else about the firm?
3: Well, that's why I because of my practice being you know what it is, I I'm only working with typically larger firms that already have a lot of infrastructure and staff in place, you know maybe twenty people or more. And um, so they can go a little further, and, and that's really a challenge. I've been trying to think a lot about how do I help the smaller firm with whatever education support I could provide to keep it simple enough that it makes sense, and they can pay attention to this quest- this this important alignment between what you say, what you do, and what it feels like. You know, because the part that the the um, the sort of magic here is what it feels like, because that's really a brand. You know, if if you say all this fancy stuff and your offices look like you you know just won the lottery and they're rich, it's a rich experience, but nobody feels like they just got top drawer, um, ma- amazing, um, luxurious experience, and it doesn't matter. You know, so uh, so I think it, it's a good question, Stephen. I don't know that I have an answer to that.
0: And how do you
2: how do you reconcile um, personal brand and firm brand? I know we certainly get this kind of question a lot from advisors who are in partnerships and who are grappling with what personal brand means when there are multiple advisors. Well,
3: it's funny. I'll tell you when when I was at United Capital, and I'll tell you, Joe Duran is like you know a marketing machine and one of the the f- most fun partners in the world to work with because he is so creative. Uh, and. We had a blast. But one of the worst criticisms we could say at the firm, and it would it'd be like people had been, the puppy has been slapped if you said this to someone, is <laughs> look at them and say, that is off-brand. <laughs> okay? So... So it's so awesome when you're in a place where the brand is so clear to people that all they have to do is look at you like they're you know it reminds me of the nuns that taught me in grade school that is off brand and you're like oh my god I'm sorry so <laughs> ideally you get there um, I will tell you I worked with one advisory firm that ended up it was a it was an amazing story of a big breakaway broker that ended up these top notch advisors trying to form their own firm and ultimately they sold the pra- the firm to Republic Bank because what they they could never could be a firm. They could never be more than these four guys with personalities and books of business. So I think if you're in a partnership, it takes some real negotiation and honesty between you, you and the other partners. It may be that you want to talk about your partnership as a partnership with a collection of individuals who bring distinct skills to the table. That's one way to wrap around Multiple advisors.
1: Well, and and, f- and and Gail, that brings up something else that's important, and that is that you know uh, there there are a lot of advisory firms that are built on that you know that founder with a strong personality, and of course a lot of a lot of what advisors can do to, to to get their firms better known is is speaking and getting quoted in the press and that kind of stuff. But but how do you separate the personal brand from the firm brand, and and build build the firm brand so that the the the, the business has some staying power beyond the founder
3: well I mean I'll go back to with United capital and when from a retail perspective meaning in the consumer markets was we when we used Joe as a spokesperson um, it was very thoughtful and deliberate and I'll tell you he always used the, the language of we we um, that's different than some others. I mean, like Rick Edelman, he uses I and he more, more is using we these days. And I, I admire him greatly, but I think that's an example of a very much dominant personality led firm. So if I were in a mid-sized firm and I had a lead partner who was very vocal in my community, I would absolutely use that. It's great to put a face to financial services these days. Think about it. There are very few faces. It's not a human industry anymore. Um, even Ken Fisher, you don't really see his face. You see Rick's face. You sure don't see any faces at Bank of America or Merrill Lynch. They're all hiding, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, so, humans like to see a face. They can attach to a face. But use we language, talk about things, as, um, as hu- and as, be as humble as you can be um, when you do that. But I, I think that's an advantage to have a, a person with presence in the firm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to to kind of take us back to the, the theme of, of referability. Now, in my mind, I can see the connection here. But I wonder if you could kind of draw out, let's assume I've done this hard work. I've thought long and hard. I've defined who I am, why I'm different. In your mind, um, how, how do I then translate that into getting clients to either share those stories or... or or tell their friends and family about the experience that they've had?
3: Well, I think I'll give you an example. I think when you're able to say clearly to people, um, I do something different. uh, I have a different point of view. And then you prove it to them by delivering that difference. And it's a difference that they value that people get excited because, you know, right now, my bet is there are a ton of people out in the marketplace today that are, you know, consumers, or unhappy with current financial services, skeptical that they'll ever get anything better than they've already got. I keep talking to clients about your aspiration should be that when people come to your firm, they are absolutely relieved and they're saying, oh my God, I finally found it. This, this is, this is what I've been looking for, like a good pair of shoes that fits. Um, So, you know, I'll give an example of one of the top interior designers in the state of South Carolina who tells people she's not, she always says, I'm really not an interior designer. That's how she starts. Okay, and that throws people. You're the top one, but you're not. (laughs) And she says, I'm not an interior designer. I am a person who helps people layer their homes and their lives in a way that brings together the things that make them feel great about their home. And uh, so, it's intrinsic that it's the person and the home. And and she just does a great job. So, I think if you can describe your difference and... Another trick, I think that when your clients love you, um, this is, I use the word trick with quotes around it because I don't like tricks, but help them, help them refer by helping them describe what you do uh, for their friends. And we heard this at our client advisory board. A lot of clients are saying like, I wish you had an easier way for me to tell people about you. So, you know, the shorter and simpler that you make your statement to clients about, you know, here's what I do. You know, I layer. I layer people's lives and their homes together in a way that makes it, you know, that makes them so happy. I'm not an interior designer. You know, then they're going to go to a cocktail party and say to someone, oh, I work with this person. They can remember that. They can say it. And I happen to know that because I was referred to that designer and I've referred her five people at this point. And I always say that because she makes it super clear. So I think having a brand, having it be differentiated, having it be truly authentic and then delivering on that experience creates an excitement that other people will want to share because they are now relieved they found you and they want their friends to find you. It's, it's hard. I think this is the hardest thing. We all know clients want to refer, but they don't. And it's a dilemma. And you two are the experts at that. I'm, I'm a marketing expert, but not a referral expert. But I, I can't imagine that a, a great brand, a branded experience I, I, that has to help get referrals.
1: Well, and and Gail, let me let me clarify something there because Julie's research, you know, has demonstrated it's not that clients want to refer and they don't. Clients do refer, but I think, but but very few of those people actually get all the way through to the advisor, and and I think a lot of it is in what you just said. It's. Um, it's, they don't have compelling things to say. And that interior designer has a compelling thing to say. At the same time, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, you know, get your thought on what kind of caution we should give advisors, because, you know, we see a lot of, a lot of advisors who try to do that, but they end up trying be getting too clever about it. And, and they come up with something that they sounds, they, they think sounds smart or that they think sounds, you know, clever, but it really doesn't, it doesn't communicate like that interior designers.
3: Yeah. So, so gosh, mean, you know, um, human speak. Right. Is the language we need to speak, not, not marketing speak and sales speak. I, I have this, um, one of the reasons I spend so much time on messaging, uh, and I really enjoy working on it is whatever you've said or written, you can probably chop it in half and make it better. It's simplification of your language, really getting it simple and get feedback. You know, talk to people and say, "Look, does this make sense to you?" You know, it's so funny how a person can get really frustrated and then they'll finally just blurt out, "But okay, but here's what I'm trying to say," and they'll just say it, and you're like, "Well, mm-hmm. then why didn't you just say that?" That's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is it.
2: Yeah. It's, and you know, you you said this to me in other conversations, Gil. It's, it's it's sort of where you started. It's like, what do you stand for, right? Yeah. And and having the uh, gosh, there's so many words I could use there. Um, the strength <laughs> to to uh, to commit because it, you know it strikes me that the you know I guess the elephant in the room for advisors is that a, a really strong brand should exclude it some does. people like it it not exclude but it you some people should look at it and go yeah it's not for me and and then you know you've got it right yeah. <laughs> because it's going to be so right for for other people right yeah. and but that's such a fear right of 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 brand is like how can i water this down to the point where uh, it may not be right for everybody, but it won't offend anybody, right? And uh, yeah, you
3: yeah, know, it doesn't work. It's, I think that's another, like, I love being able to having people, I play with, you know, these little games and say like, okay, if I say, you know, what's different about me is what is, you know, okay, tell me what that is. And then have them practice saying, you know, what we do isn't for everybody. And then there's a little pause. By the way, you say that at a cocktail party. Everyone else around you is pretending everything's for everybody. You're like, well, what we do really isn't for everybody. Little pause. The kind of people that work with us are, you know, people who blah, blah, blah. There is a huge attractive, you know, it's very attractive. And, you know, I know for myself that if you look, follow me on Twitter, it's Gail at the Graham brand. I, I think a lot about my own brand now that I'm on my own building a consulting practice. I truly am not for everybody. I will only work with crazy people. That's my my goal. Uh. <laughs> That'll
1: make Sign for an interesting you. career. Yeah.
3: But you know, I I'm I just think there's magic in deciding yeah. you're not for everybody. Yeah, I love that. So.
2: It's, it's, you know, probably a great place to stop because I know, uh, as per usual, we could go on forever, but promised not to. And um, so thank you so much for your time. This, I love that we've taken the, the conversation to a more strategic level. I think it's so important. It's hard work, but, but I really appreciate those insights. Oh,
3: well, you guys are awesome and good friends, and I'm glad that we had this time together. So Thanks
1: yeah, me too. and and uh, it, yeah, thank you, Gail, for joining us. It's great to talk with you. so if if people, if if someone does run a bigger firm and they're interested more in what you do, how how would they find you?
3: Um, I, well, go to LinkedIn, Link in with me, and in mails is, is a good way, or go Gail at dot That's my email. Um, and as i said, i'm I'm really trying to I'm really trying to redesign my life and work. Very selectively and to have a little more free time. So I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not really taking a lot of clients, but I, I want to find the right partnerships to work with over a longer period of time. So I'd certainly be happy to have conversations with you. Wonderful. People. So Great. we'll get that Thanks in the show you. notes. And yep. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, everybody.
1: Hey, folks. Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.